This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. All sheesh team and expected points analysis edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy. Divisional round was a fun weekend of wild card games. Had the Monday night. Not exactly a classic, but a beatdown of the GOAT, Tom Brady. Good times being had by football fans and fantasy fans alike. So, guys, again, hope you enjoyed that. Hope you've been enjoying some of the offseason editions of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast we have going out. Going to keep on keeping on all throughout the offseason, as always. So, today, want to take... Another step back again, not quite doing the game-by-game breakdowns for the playoffs, but looking back at what happened in 2022, before we truly go full sicko looking ahead to 2023, want to go through my all-sheesh team players that just had the most unfortunate events, a series of unfortunate events, if you will. Shout out Lemony Snicket, happened to them throughout this past season. And then also go through, again, some of the more unlucky or even lucky players based on what they were able to manage in terms of realized fantasy points versus what they were expected to based purely on that sweet sweet volume so again thanks for tuning in everybody and with that let's get on to the official 2022-2023 all she's team the committee meaning myself had to pour hours and hours into all this and i kid you not guys the worst i don't want to say worst it's a joy working in fantasy sports and all that but i had to get the uh total amount of nullified penalties and the only way i could find a way to track nullified penalties there's not like a source or a database that i know of at least that tracks all the touchdowns that didn't count because of penalties so i had to go through every single game from this year the espn play-by-play log unclick basically every single drive from every single game and then control f nullified to try to find all those touchdowns so again a lot of blood sweat and tears went into this to get some of these factors we'll go through some of the specifics later on in the podcast but five players stood out to me being worthy of all she's team recognition. First of all, unfortunately, going to be my guy, Cordero Patterson. I mentioned that ridiculous nullified touchdown study. He led the NFL with three nullified scores. Brandon Cooks was the only other freaking player that had multiple nullified touchdowns. 42 scores were taken off the board because of penalty this year. Patterson had three. Cooks had two. 37 other players had just one. So nothing more sheeshful, obviously, than seeing those points go up on the board and they get ripped right back down. Were the penalties, you know, there to help the touchdown happen? On many occasions, if not most occasions, absolutely. But there were some shishi ones, especially CPAT's last one of the year. Awesome cutback run. Got a really good block near the goal line. Arthur Smith was losing his mind after those points got taken off the board, just like I'm sure fantasy managers were as well. 
also on the all she's team gonna be Steelers running back Najee Harris nobody was stopped at the one yard yard line more than Najee on drives where he did not score a touchdown so I mentioned the nullified touchdown study this was another one that took a while because basically only way to see this with some of our handy dandy PFF tools I am able to look at every single play that got stopped down at the one yard line the catch is figuring out if that player went on to score on that same drive or not so after basically going back and forth through every single instance that a player was stopped at the one yard line because i'm not trying to reward a guy for getting stopped and then scoring on the next play that's not an instance where we should be talking about him after getting through all that with seven different instances of being stopped at the one yard line nashi harris tops that unfortunate leaderboard by the way the rest of the leaders in terms of again being stopped at the one yard line and not scoring a touchdown on the same drive Najee Harris had seven Dalvin Cook had six and then we have let's see two four six seven players with four such instances those players Jamal Williams if you can believe it the guy probably should have scored more touchdowns this year AJ Dillon Travis Etienne Tony Pollard Kenneth Gainwell which is kind of hilarious if you watch a lot of Eagles games this year I think it makes sense and he would kind of randomly see him in the game a lot in the red zone only for Jalen Hurts and sometimes Miles Sanders to take away those scores also, Leonard Fournette and Brees Hall. Brees Hall only played, what, six, seven weeks of the year, but he really had some shishi moments in there, guys. He had the one game where he ended up having, he had two catches, I think, for 100 receiving yards. He had the awesome wheel route for like 80 yards, and he made another nice catch. On both occasions, he got tackled at the one-yard line, and then they brought in Michael Carter to score a touchdown. I stand by it. It should be illegal for coaches not to give their bell cow running back two chances to score after they get down to the one-yard line. Also had a big group of guys with three such instances, not going to go below three, but these players were down at the one yard line on three separate occasions throughout the regular season. Tyler Boyd, Josh Allen, DeAndre Swift, Justin Jefferson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Christian McCaffrey, Melvin Gordon, Lamar Jackson, Ramondre Stevenson, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, Travis Kelsey, Justin Fields, and Joe Mixon. I've been tweeting some of these out as I do with a lot of the fun facts I find while, you know, researching the podcast and articles and what have you. But the one big uh, takeaway that people were coming back to me with was what about Amon Ross St. Brown? It seems like it happened to him, you know, 90,000 times. And I agree with you from the eye test. I was confused by that as well. I do think there were a handful of plays where he got tackled at the two yard line, but I agree to only see Swift and Amon Ra total six in this felt like 60. Unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, but it was only six for them combined so again all she's team first two members Cordero Patterson and Najee Harris and they are going to be the only two running backs I didn't have a quarterback making on there I do think if you looked at just the total number of misses potential big plays the two guys that in my notes stuck out were Tua and also Kenny Pickett but in Tua's case he also hit a lot of throws and I mean Tyreek runs by everyone so I didn't want to be you know two on the anti-Tua train just going crazy like oh look this 60-yard game probably could have been a 75-yard touchdown if he would have thrown a perfect pass because it's like yeah but still pretty good job and then with Pickett being a rookie and honestly just yeah being a rookie being in that offense from Matt Canada I don't think it was doing him many favors didn't think it was shishi enough with the expectations not being that high in the first place to include a quarterback on the squad that said Pickett did take another man down with them that is going to be the cover boy here Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson insane guys 147 targets without a touchdown the previous NFL high mark 
109. Shout out to our friends over at Pro Football uh, Reference, not Pro Football Focus, Pro Football Reference. They have their fantastic stat finder tool that makes studies like this going back deep into NFL history awfully easy to figure out. And look, with targets, they only started being tracked, at least by Pro Football Reference, who tends to be the model of the industry with these sorts of things, only started getting tracked in 1992. Maybe in the future, we'll see them, you know, do a similar phenomenon as they did with their sack metric where they go back and compile past ones. But keep in mind, all time does only go back to 1992. But even then, I mean, it's just hard to imagine there's anyone that had more pass game opportunities with fewer success with less success i should say finding the end zone than deontay johnson just did so again since 1992 there have only been as i'm running the study right now thank you for being patient with me there have only been seven total receivers hit the 100 targets mark and not score a receiving touchdown again previous record was 109 uh, which was set by bears wide receiver michael timpson back in 1996 we also had a monty tumor in 2004 have 107 scoreless targets Tory Holt spent a year at the Jaguars, which is wild, and he got to 103. Akeem Nix had 101 scoreless targets in 2013. Is that the same year he went off in the playoffs, though? That'd be kind of crazy. Hakeem Nix, guys, shout out to that former name because he actually had a playoff stretch that it was Larry Fitzgerald-esque. But it happened in 2011, not 213. So never mind on that. Also had 2019, Leonard Fournette with the Jaguars, 100 targets and no touchdowns. And also with the Jaguars, LaVisca Chenault with 100 and no scores in 2021. So, geez, the Jaguars, three separate teams in 2009, 2019, and 2021 have three of the seven receivers since 92 that had triple-digit targets and no scores. Not great there, but it does seem like Trevor Lawrence is turning that team around as we saw it last week. So, yeah, Deontay Johnson, just so brutal this year. And even some of the close plays when you do actually look more into it, my God, week two or week three, Trubisky had a freaking seed back of the end zone. Johnson just barely couldn't get the second foot down. Had another one against the Bills with Kenny Pickett where he only got one foot down. The second one was oh so close. Even dropped a touchdown from Pickett later in the season just when he thought things couldn't get worse. And oh yeah, it was week 18, I believe. He actually finally gets some yak going. He gets tackled down at the one-yard line. So Deontay Johnson, I maintain, is still very good at football. Unfortunately, is fresh off one of the more she-she seasons we have ever seen seen uh yeah really ever also another wide receiver joined the all she's team going to be saints rookie wide receiver chris alave second in the league in unrealized air yards behind only gabriel davis but the fact that alave was still able to put those numbers up missing some time and gabe davis did miss some time as well but Getting that nod from catching passes from Jameis and Andy Dalton, that's what separated here for me because Alave, like we got to see the full Jameis experience for at least a couple of weeks, thanks in large part to Alave getting open deep. I mean, in that freaking, it would have been the Falcons game, I think. It was week two or week three. Guys, like we talk about un unrealized air yards a lot, and we're going to keep talking about it more in this podcast. But just real quick refresher. Air yards, real easy. If I throw a 50-yard pass to you, you know, 50 yards in the air, I'm standing at the 50, you're standing at the goal line, great. You catch it, 50 receiving yards, 50 air yards. But if I throw you that 50-yard pass and you drop it, that's zero receiving yards, and it's 50 air yards. So that would be 50 unrealized air yards because that's the opportunity that you had that you did not realize. So with that in mind, Chris Alave, guys, okay, 
was the Buccaneers game in week two. He had 13 targets, five catches for 80 yards, but he had over 300 unrealized air yards in that one. That was pure Jameis going full Jameis. And some might argue you never go full Jameis, but as a viewer, as a you know non-partial, just not a fan of the Saints viewer, awfully fun to see. And thank you, Alave, for bringing us even that one week of the full Jameis experience. And he also had one of the more confusing plays of the year, that 30-yard catch he had against the 49ers, where it was literally catch, one, two, three, go to the ground, and then the ball kind of moved. And they somehow said that wasn't a catch, enough for me to put Alave on the all-she squad. Finally, guys, number five, any guesses? You know, feel free. I can't hear you right now, but if you have a guess, so far, Cordero Patterson, Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, Chris Alave, any other players that you can think of that, again, Full sheesh, pissed you off, didn't live up to expectations, had the fantasy community's brain in a collective pretzel for most of the year. Yeah, Falcons tight end Kyle Pitts. Good guess on your part. I know you nailed it. Easily led all tight ends in unrealized air yards with 411, and many of those incomplete targets were of the uncatchable variety, which, again, the frustration with Kyle Pitts, I understand that you also have Drake London in this offense, and I understand it's the most run-first offense in the NFL, so expecting him to just get these 10-12 target games was unrealistic and from the start. So not trying to say, oh, you know, me ranking him tight end three like the rest of the industry. We were right. The process was right. Not going there. But the part that just really pissed me off about this season for Kyle Pitts is that Mariota couldn't even put the ball in his general vicinity. I mean, we're talking about the guy that came into the NFL with the largest recorded wingspan of any wide receiver tight end in the last 20 freaking years. This is recorded measured. So not every single guy, I guess, has had to go to the NFL combine and, you know, gotten that done. But still, top five, whatever. This guy is freaking massive. It's like the old sports science show. Remember when they showed uh, Chad Johnson, you know, his catch radius was equivalent to a freaking elephant out there. Yeah. So I'm guessing Kyle Pitts is better than Chad Johnson's freaking catch radius, which means Marcus Mariota literally couldn't put the football onto a freaking elephant whenever he was trying to throw the ball to Kyle Pitts out there. So that was the problem with some of these games because, yeah, they were prairie yards more times than not. Mariota didn't even give him a chance to catch the ball, and that's what made the situation so damn she-she. So, again, no tight end finish with more fantasy points below expectation per game and the fact that we had to watch Mariota put forward the league's single lowest rate of catchable passes and take away a potential year two breakout from Kyle Pitts you absolutely hate to see it again 2022-2023 all she's team Cordero Patterson Najee Harris Deontay Johnson Chris Olave Kyle Pitts wasn't a great day to be great for them but we appreciate the effort in May 2023 and 2024 be a bit less she for all parties involved all right, guys, top five sheesh moments of the season now. I did go ahead and do a thread on Twitter after going through all my articles from the year and just, you know, reminded everyone of all the moments that made us sad and kind of broke our hearts, you know, along the way. So what a better way to, you know, spend a Monday afternoon, in my humble opinion. But naturally, uh, couldn't pick all 24 highlights I believe I put into the thread. Did want to highlight the top five here. So number five sheesh moment of the season goes to Hunter Henry. Hunter caught it, guys. If you remember this Thanksgiving game Patriots versus the Vikings I believe and Mac Jones one of his better performances of the year was actually able to put up some points maybe because they were playing the Vikings but whatever either way they're moving up and down the field and then Hunter Henry caught a short touchdown not so fast my friend taken off the board because he didn't maintain control of the football while going to the ground but here's the problem you watch the replay the man's hand was underneath the football his hand is under the ball 
the ball doesn't hit the ground. It's on his hand. His hand hits the ground. The ball shifts. The ball never hit the ground. Hunter re gets possession of it and should have had a touchdown, but nope, incomplete pass, even though the ball sure looked like it never even touched the ground. What is a catch? We still do not know in the year 2023. Sheesh moment number four is actually a three-way tie because we still had some running backs prioritizing their real-life teams, you know, winning ambitions ahead of those of their loyal fantasy managers. Nothing worse than seeing these guys, again, go for their teams, not their fantasy squads. Unreal, I joke. But seriously, Saquon Barkley had one of these. Antonio Gibson and most recently Devin Singletary were at the end of the game. They chose to go down short of the goal line to effectively kill the game by not leaving too much time on the clock and set their team up for a game-winning field goal, kneel down, whatever it happened to be. So in Saquon's case, it sucked because it was against the Ravens because he had such a sick spin move to get outside in the first place before he went down Antonio Gibson actually messed it up like he slid down short of even the first down line so he had a good thought in his head but kind of screwed it up ended up getting the first down anyway and then most recently Devin Singletary in that classic Dolphins game from a few weeks ago not the playoff one went down just short of the goal line to set up that game winning field goal certainly a good play there so again I get it like you this is a smart move all three of these guys made the smart move we saw what happened to Nick Chubb and the Browns against the Jets earlier this year when he didn't make that smart move which sucks because Chubb actually has made that very same move a couple of years ago I think against the Eagles when he busted that big run at the end of the game so yeah Saquon Gibson Devin Singletary smart real life move didn't make it any less shishi though for the fantasy managers involved Sheesh moment number three of the year. Going to be monster opening touchdowns, flat out drop. Last time I'm cheating on this, but this is two plays. First of all, literally the Packers' first offensive play of the season. You already know where I'm going with this. Christian Watson, absolute pearl over ball from Aaron Rodgers and flat out dropped it. 75-yard house call ran straight past Patrick Peterson on their first offensive play of the game. Could not hold on. So what's wild about that, guys? Again, should have been first offensive play. Christian Watson's first play of his career should have gone for a 75-yard score. Instead, due to injuries and some other drops, first nine games of the season, first nine weeks of the season, I should say, just 88 scoreless receiving yards. So we talked about Watson in our award show about how he did get comeback player of the year in fantasy because of how much better he was in the second half compared to the first. But yeah, Christian Watson just kind of set the tone, unfortunately, for the Packers' entire season, albeit he did have a nice little comeback there at the end. Secondly, got to shout out Buccaneers wide receiver Mike Evans. Like Watson, Evans got some nice little hardware there in the fantasy playoffs thanks to his just huge week 17 performance but yeah guys like remember that other panthers game before he went off 66 yard house call potential after his covers defender fell down second play of the game brady finally throws a perfect deep ball and evans let it bounce right off his hands back up into the air and then to the ground where evans proceeded to knock the shit out of the ball out of the end zone just so brutal. I remember it was the first highlight on Red Zone, you know, just one of those days where we always kind of convince ourselves before 1 p.m. on Sunday, like, oh, this is the week. I know what's going to happen out here. The fantasy squad's going to be going well. Maybe you sprinkle some Evans out there in the DFS streets and then just have that be the first freaking highlight, you know, highlight of the day. Absolutely brutal. So, yeah, monster opening touchdowns, flat out drop. Christian Watson, Mike Evans could not think of two more egregious ones on the season, just in terms of the big play potential Tyler Boyd Brandon Ayuk there were some other really bad drops that should have been touchdowns but Watson and Evans nobody had that same length and just opening play nature involved 
Number two, sheesh moment of the year. Going to go Justin Jefferson. Stop blowing the freaking play dead when you aren't positive, refs, because he went off in week 14. He had 11 catches for 200, 223 scoreless yards, but he should have had an additional 32 yards and a touchdown when he literally managed to fend off three defenders somehow on the sideline, did not step out of bounds. We saw clear replay he didn't step out of bounds and the officials were able to basically clarify that he didn't step out of bounds but it didn't matter because they said he did on the field so the rest of the play was dead so yeah i mean i'm not going to say the vikings definitely would have come back and won but they did lose 51 seconds of the game that they then had to drive down the field instead of getting the opening uh, score from jefferson on that drive so again just a situation where like no, Justin Jefferson, fantasy managers, you know, you already had freaking, what, 33.3 points from this performance before even adding in, you know, the big play and big game uh, multipliers and all that going on. But yeah, Jefferson, again, just let the play go, refs. It's the easiest thing ever. No team's got to waste a challenge flag. Fans would prefer it. I mean, we look at those scooping scores and situations that were going on with the Colts and Vikings game. I mean, those might as well be here as well. I'm including them now. How about that? So refs, Freaking blowing these plays dead when they shouldn't be. Nothing more tilting out there, especially when it happens to involve your fantasy player. And finally, the number one she's play of the season. Again, any guesses out here? You guys got a good guess? Because I think it's pretty clear. It's the Washington screw job. You know, Brett screwed Brett, Terry screwed Terry, whatever you want to say about this one. Commander's running back Brian Robinson got absolutely screwed in week 15 Sunday night against the Giants. Punched in a short one-yard touchdown from the goal line, and we were about to see a two-point conversion to potentially send things into overtime. Not so fast, my friend. The officials threw a flag for an illegal formation, saying Terry McLaurin wasn't on the line of scrimmage. You need seven men on the line of scrimmage. That's why wide receivers before every single play check with the referee to make sure. And that's what Terry did on this play. And the ref told him to move up. It looked like Terry did. And then he threw the flag anyway. Reminder, this was a run up the middle. Terry was the far right wide receiver communicating with the referee. What was this guy's deal out here? I mean, the amount of times these referees seemingly want the viewer at home to be reminded that they're out there. It's just, it's not just football too. I've talked about being a big fan of combat sports. Like the best thing you can say about a ref out there is that you don't even notice they're out there because they're not making an impact on the game because you're not there to watch the freaking refs. You're there to actually go watch your football players or the fighters or whoever the hell is in the sporting event. And again, Terry McLaurin, who said after the game that he did speak to the ref about this and he got a thumbs up and all this. Just just what a shishi moment. Brian Robinson, Terry McLaurin, Washington Commanders, absolutely screwed on that one. And again, I don't know if they were going to win, but I can guarantee you there were some fancy managers out there in the first round of the playoffs who unfortunately lost because Brian Robinson didn't get those six points that he earned and that he deserved based on this going down. So side note, this one did make me think of I couldn't remember if it was a fantasy football punishment or not, but I love the idea of dressing up as a referee going to a football game and then just going absolutely crazy anytime the ref makes a call. That does sound like a fun time, kind of expensive, so like too much of an expensive joke, probably for like a last place punishment, but something to keep in mind if you happen to have a uh, you know NFL referee uniform lying around. Anyway, guys, quick recap. Top five sheesh moments of the season. Hunter Henry's short touchdown that was taken off the board because they said it hit the ground, even though it sure seemed like the ball never hit the ground. 
Saquon Barkley, Antonio Gibson, and Devin Singletary pulling the Todd Gurley, Brian Westbrook move of falling down short of the goal line to help their real life teams in lieu of their fantasy managers. Also had the monster opening touchdowns flat out drop courtesy of Christian Watson and Mike Evans. Justin Jefferson's play touchdown that got killed dead because the refs couldn't just freaking chill and not blow their whistles and unfortunately we didn't get to see that yeah that should have been a touchdown instead you killed the play early another couple shout outs to that same sequence happening in that vikings colts game also finally the number one sheesh play of the year is going to be again that washington screw job of brian robinson scoring a short touchdown and having it called back on illegal formation penalty that once again terry mclaurin certainly seemed to be actively trying to avoid before the snap even happened a few other quick notes as i was kind of going through getting all these awards and moments made i did look at end zone drops like the most drops of the season on targets that were in the end zone and jamar chase and stefan Diggs guys led the nfl with three apiece and that kind of is the wild scenario with them look chase Diggs. Pull the highlight videos up. I mean, again, I don't. We don't need to knock these dudes for a couple mistakes here, and even more mistakes than usual. They have more volume than anyone out there, and again, all the good plays certainly override a few drops. But yeah, truly, in Chase's case in particular, don't let again a really good second year distract from the fact that he was even more insane as a rookie. So with Chase this year, it was good to see the Bengals not let him get taken out of games, you know, when they couldn't hit these big 50-yard splash plays or they couldn't find the end zone, they still found a way to get chased these, you know, seven, eight catch, 90-yard games, maybe a little bit over 100, but it was more so of an underneath intermediate usage than we were used to seeing, and I think that's probably a big adjustment of teams actively trying to take away some of those bigger plays down the field that Burrow and Chase just absolutely torched them with, but yeah, pretty scary that Jamar Chase, who was still a top five fantasy wide receiver, was the wide receiver one and expected PPR points per game and just couldn't quite get, get it going. So last year, I mean, the one stat that kind of blew me away looking back at some of this, Jamar Chase, this season... Obviously, he missed some time due to injuries. He only played 12 games. This season, in 12 games, Jamar Chase had 134 targets. Last season, in 17 games, he had 128. So really, I know last year we had the stats with T. Higgins versus Jamar Chase and how even their targets were and their production were in games together. And a bigger sample size, we've actually seen now Jamar Chase emerge as the clear-cut number one receiver in Cincinnati. I mean, I do think it was more of a number one Jamar Chase, number two T. Higgins, as opposed to the 1A, 1B pecking order. Not talking about their talent. T's amazing. But again, Jamar Chase, number one in expected points from a wide receiver on a per-game basis. Meanwhile, T. Higgins, and we'll talk about this more here in a little bit, T. Higgins was one of the more just lucky wide receivers i mean he's talented so that's lucky he's not necessarily the right word there but just in terms of expected ppr points per game t higgins was the wide receiver freaking 42 out here nico collins adam thielen dj moore jerry judy brandon cooks gabe davis all these guys had more expected ppr points per game than t higgins and some of that we had the two t higgins games where he played like one snap so those aren't helping matters but those aren't necessarily impacting the expected points per game of the equation so just the fact that higgins was a top 20 wide receiver on a freaking top 40 workload is a testament to how damn good he is also, the unrealized air yards leaderboard talked about this a little bit earlier with the all she's team, but the most unrealized air yards in the NFL, Gabriel Davis with 678 and second place, Chris Olave 
then DJ Moore, Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Mike Evans, and even Marvin Jones rounding out the guys with at least 600 unrealized air yards. And how about Marvin Jones? You know, all sorts of opportunity this year. Did have a very nice touchdown uh, in that thrilling comeback victory against the Chargers where he shadow realmed his cornerback. As a reminder, shadow realm, not just a term for a great route. We see those all the time. The wide receiver literally needs to juke, deke, whatever you want to call it, the cornerback so bad that they go off the screen in the wide receiver cornerback ISO cam and thus into the shadows. Love to seeing those. Also, guys, I understand unrealized air yards. There is a prayer yard aspect of this, you know. Okay, quarterback throws the ball 70 yards downfield and the wide receiver is 30 yards behind it. That's a lot of air yards that never truly had a chance of being completed. So I wanted to somewhat account for this by looking at some of our handy dandy pff tools five players had 400 plus air yards on incompletions that were blamed on the quarterback by pff so an overthrow underthrow, skipped in thrown behind them whatever these pass catchers had at least 400 prayer yards last season marquise brown nfl high 498 Devonte adams surprising given how good he still was this year 476 dj moore A.J. Brown, also pretty surprising, and Kyle Pitts sitting there at 409. So almost all of Kyle Pitts' air yards were uncatchable this year, which, again, is just so frustrating because he didn't even have a chance to do it. So not saying that, you know, there is this – it's not uncatchable or it's a drop. There is, you know, a line of passes that are catchable and are not considered drops, and I do think there were, you know – decent points to be made that yeah Kyle Pitts wouldn't have brought in all 409 of these you know prayer yards he had an opportunity but I don't know half of those would have been cool just saying and yes overall on the season Falcons Jets Bears and Texans the only four offenses that had fewer than 75 percent of their targets be deemed catchable by PFF again Falcons Jets Bears Texans kind of makes sense there and the other bottom three teams the commanders the rams and the panthers those form the clear-cut bottom seven offenses in terms of catchable pass rate all right guys before we keep on keeping on with some looks at the biggest under and over performance in terms of expected points want to give a quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors out there starting off with DraftKings, the nfl playoff action continues we're one step closer to super bowl 57 and for the nfl divisional round check out DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl new customers can bet just five dollars and get 200 free bets instantly plus all new and existing customers can take a shot in even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays boost your NFL wings with each leg you add up to 100%. Come on, guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL divisional round and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Also, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's Playbook of Life Insurance, Investment, and Retirement Solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Finally, everyone, shout out to our friends over at Underdog. Hope you guys got to participate in their gauntlet tournament. I did have one of my teams squeak on through to the second round. Love to see that. And I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up the playoff football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game. And you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog helps keep it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two in five players for your pick them entry get all your picks right and you'll take home some cold hard cash 
basically a parlay. That's what we're talking about here. I'm not sure if they can't specifically name it a parlay or what the issue is, but more or less higher or lower, you're picking five of them. It's just handy because you also get things like fantasy points in there that if you're listening to this podcast, you might be more familiar with than raw projections. So again, simple to get started. Just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with promo code PFF and underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's underdog fantasy promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. All right, everyone, quickly going to spend these next 10 or 15 minutes on some of the biggest differences in expected fantasy points versus real fantasy points. So if you remember some of the podcasts I have with Kevin Cole on here, we brought this up a lot because it does do a good job of just showing you the top over and under performers in the league by position. Now, as Kevin brought up a lot of times with this certain position, specifically quarterback is one where, you know, in terms of having a lot of expected points versus the real points, you are expecting the quarterback to have far more control over that. Whereas a wide receiver who's really underperforming, it's more possible to basically look at them and blame that more so on their offensive environment and surrounding cast. A lot of times the quarterback more or less is the offensive environment. I'm not saying it's an every time thing. We saw Tom Brady against the Cowboys, you know, get pressured, not have exactly wide open receivers running everywhere. Not trying to make a bunch of excuses for him. But again, not a complete rule of thumb here, but what freaking is? What's one stat out there that summarizes everything in any you know aspect of life? Doesn't exist, just one piece of the puzzle. And again, going through the guys with the largest differences in their real-life performance versus their expected top quarterbacks on the year. Jimmy G actually had the largest overall difference coming in as the QB 19 in real fantasy points. The QB 30, though, in expected fantasy points, followed by Tua and Justin Fields. So I think with Jimmy G and Tua topping this, it goes to show you guys, I mean, when we're looking through some of these offenses in 2023 and beyond, if we're just, yeah, wide receiver one, absolute stud, wide receiver two, absolute stud, they have some guys in the backfield that can make it work. It's a well-coached team. Oh, yeah, they have an athletic, you know, field-stretching tight end as well. When we're really starting to check everything involved in San Francisco's case, even the offensive line, give a long look to the guy orchestrating everything under center. And I have done some studies in the past that do tell you, again, when you have these, oh, top 15 running back, two top 24 wide receivers, top 12 tight end, all in ADP, that quarterback is too low. Good sign. He is someone that you should be expecting a bit more of than the masses. Also with Justin Fields was the QB five in real fantasy points per game, just the QB 13 though, and expected. So that said, I mean, again, just give him somebody to throw the ball to anybody. That's not unironically, you know, anoint Chase Claypool as a savior here trading for him in the season. So Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, and that's another one I'd like to group in with this uh, conversation. But again, they're guys where the Bears, the Giants, we were already ranking these wide receiver and pass catching rooms as hurt with Justin Fields. Hey, maybe the Bears decide Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, that's their guy moving forward. But at a minimum, guys, give Justin Fields a little bit of credit for just what an incredible year he had. Second most single season rushing yards all time by a quarterback. Yeah, he overcame expectations. Did you see the Bears, what we were expecting them to be this year, at least in terms of that offense? Great season from Justin Fields. We'll see if he can keep on keeping on in 2023 or if this will wind up being the best version of him that we've seen, at least in terms of fantasy. 
on the other side of the coin, the bottom three QBs in terms of their real finish versus their expected finish, Kenny Pickett, Tom Brady, and Mike White. With In Pickett's case, QB 33 in real fantasy points per game was the QB 21 expected. So these are three guys that just had all sorts of passing game volume, but unfortunately couldn't consistently pick up the fantasy points with it. So in Pickett's case, we can blame a lot of that on Matt Canada. He also has some mistimely drops from Deontay Johnson, as well as George Pickens. Don't forget, probably the best throw of Kenny Pickett's life, that deep bomb down the sideline. Pickens, unfortunately, dropped what would have been a 45-yard score. I forget who was against. Maybe the Patriots. Not positive on that one. But with Pickett, again, I understand, far more bad, I think, can be put on his plate than those receivers. But yeah, certainly wasn't the best rookie season that we could see out there. And then with Tom Brady and Mike White, Top 10 guys in terms of their volume just couldn't quite get that going with the production. So both guys had, you know, more banged up, I think, groups of receivers than we probably expected. In Mike White's case, you know, Elijah Moore in the doghouse, Corey Davis in and out of the lineup. More often than not, it really was Garrett Wilson, everybody else there. And then with Tom Brady, Yes, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans doing their things. That should be enough. I'm not sitting here trying to just make one excuse after another for Tom Brady, but never really found a way to replace Rob Gronkowski. Did not see Russell Gage even come close to, you know, giving them the sort of production I'm sure they were hoping for with that three-year, $30 million contract. Hopefully, we have not seen the last of Tom Brady, but if we did, obviously, one hell of a career for the greatest of all time running back top five running backs in terms of outperforming their expected fantasy points and being a lot better than their workload suggested Rashad Penny Tony Pollard Khalil Herbert Doncho Hilliard and Nick Chubb who is seemingly on this list each and every year so at least with Chubb he was the RB8 in fantasy points per game with the workload of an RB18 I mean two years ago he had the RB27 uh, workload and a lot of that was to do with Kareem Hunt being a certified badass in his own right at running the football with Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson now unrestricted free agents maybe just maybe Nick Chubb finally gets that sort of expected fantasy point workload that his talents obviously deserve with Doncho Hilliard it's just a good point to bring up that hey Derrick Henry some of those bigger games he had down the stretch there were helped a lot by Hilliard being out of the picture it was great seeing Derrick Henry set career high marks in receptions and receiving yards just don't forget about him when you're looking at this Tennessee backfield in 2023 and beyond Khalil Herbert, RB41 per game, RB54 expected per game. Could be a situation where David Montgomery comes back on a team-friendly deal. But if not, Khalil Herbert certainly has flashed enough as a backup to feel good about him stepping into a bigger role. Tony Pollard, as we all know, also a staple on this list, RB9 in fantasy points per game, even though he was just the RB24 overall. So I've been a Zeke defender on here over the years, at least relative to the fact that, again, look at this. Tony Pollard, if you just want to put the touch, like the touches a little bit higher and get Rashad Penny off this list, Tony Pollard has outperformed his workload better than any running back in the entire league. So this isn't a situation that, and this is my whole point with it usually, it's like, Tony Pollard, I think we'd be having this conversation about him giving more touches on all 32 NFL offenses out there. I think we can say that Pollard is better than Zeke without necessarily saying that Zeke sucks. It has been tougher and tougher to, you know, not be too anti-Zeke, though, based on his recent performance, guys. Ezekiel Elliott, his last 40 carries have gone for just 74 total yards. That is not good. Don't need a calculator to figure out that is less than two yards per carry. Not great, Bob. 
And then finally, with Rashad Penny, we'll see what happens this offseason. I don't know that he's going to, because of all these injury issues over the year, necessarily demand this big market on, you know, in free agency. But averaged over six yards per carry, you know, when he was out there this season. Last year, obviously, helped win some fantasy leagues with the work he did over the past five weeks. And as we know, Pete Carroll and company, they love him. I know Kenneth Walker was dealing with the hernia, you know, before the season started. But Penny was out there to start. If he comes back to this team on a team-friendly deal, I am concerned about the Seahawks potentially using more of a 2-3 running back committee. I know Penny, once again, didn't prove that he can stay healthy, and it is a situation where Kenneth Walker very likely was good enough and has the organization's backing to be the clear lead back anyway. Just realize Rashad Penny, he's someone that we have seen consistently in the past be used when he is available, even though you know we've all kind of written him off well before he gets back out there on the field. Bottom four running backs in terms of not getting basically the real fantasy points that we would expect based on their workload. Javante Williams, sad to see him on this list. But yeah, RB31 and real PPR points per game on the RB9 expected workload. Also, Movin Gordon on this list. And oh yeah, two Washington running backs and Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson bad offenses while we will see the occasional boom really should be stayed away from nine times out of 10 if you can help it in fantasy land and i understand stuff's going to go into that and sometimes our ability to discern who are the good and bad offenses is going to be off looking at you 2022 seattle seahawks so not saying you can't ever touch these guys but you know your back's going to be against the wall when you're not able to get all the scoring opportunities that again you would probably see in better overall offenses top wide receivers in terms of outperforming what they were expected to do Rashid Shahid with the Saints just going to be blasting his way into some of these top leaderboards among the rookie receivers and hey he had a great year as did Deontay Hardy last season with the Saints I just have a hard time believing when everyone is healthy in New Orleans that he's going to be overly leaned on in fantasy so maybe he can be a boomer bust wide receiver for if this team can find a quarterback that they're at all okay with you know in the post Drew Brees era but Rashid Shahid great great sample it still is a really small sample though i'm not going to go crazy and treat him as this you know top five top 10 talent that to be fair a lot of his efficiency efficiency numbers said he was this season also have Miko Harmon still working his way back from that pelvis industry or injury. T. Higgins, I mentioned him before, but yeah, wide receiver 20 fantasy points per game, but outside the top 40 in terms of expected. Had Jahan Dotson outperforming a lot of what he was asked to do based on some of those touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, you know, regular in this column, but wide receiver 14 in real uh, fantasy points, wide receiver 29 expected. Christian Watson had a big difference, wide receiver 35 in real fantasy points versus wide receiver 39 expected. And Jalen Waddle, wide receiver 12 in real fantasy points versus wide receiver 26 expected. So again, as I opened up with, like there is a case to be made that wide receivers, you know, when we do see them booming or busting more than expectation, it's not all on their plate. That said, guys like Jalen Waddle, like Jahan Dotson, like Christian Watson, like Tyra Lockett, they're really making the most out of lesser workloads. And I'm not saying they can't keep on keeping on with that, but it does make me nervous. And I think when we get to these fantasy ranks, when it comes time, you know, start setting them for 2023 and beyond, guys like Higgins, guys like Waddle, guys like Devontae Smith, they're awesome but they are in an offense with a lot of other awesome weapons. And because of that, we're seeing their workloads be more literally in the wide receiver three territory. So, you know, Jalen Waddle, is he better than 95% of other wide receivers in the NFL? Absolutely. But is he better enough than all those other wide receivers to be better with, you know, 70% of the workload? That's the question that luckily we have a long offseason to help figure out.
worst wide receivers in terms of realized production versus what we expected. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Marvin Jones, Allen Robinson, Michael Gallup, and Marquise Brown. So love the potential for Michael Gallup and Marquise Brown to bounce back next season. I don't think either guy are going to be overly expensive. Wouldn't be surprised if Marvin Jones in his last year or two in the league, Allen Robinson, we will see what the hell goes on moving forward, but he did not, you know, help his case out there. A lot of fluff pieces about A-Rob were wrote last August. I don't hear any of those people chattering much these days and already talked plenty about Deontay Johnson. So top tight ends here, most real fancy points over expectation. George Kittle, Seahawks, you know, $100 million man, Will Disley, Jordan Akins, and Evan Ingram. Yeah, George Kittle, freaking King State Kings. I was just surprised, you know, looking at his numbers this year for us to get a season. And luckily he did pick it up, you know, when it mattered in the fantasy playoffs. My goodness, did he ever. But in a season where Kittle plays 15 games, his most in a single season since 2018, only, you know, 60 catches, 765 yards, 86 targets on the year. Yeah, we got 11 touchdowns, which is great for a guy that never scored more than six touchdowns in a season before this year. And that is the reason why we're seeing him outperform it. But yeah, 86 targets, guys, that's just not enough in my humble opinion for in my mind the single best tight end in the nfl and george kittle and finally the worst tight ends in terms of real fantasy points versus expectation kyle pitts logan thomas kate Otten, and tyler higby the kyle pitts dilemma it's going to be another long off season of kyle pitts discussion tight end 21 in real ppr fantasy points per game just the tight end six though and expected ppr points so Literally top six workload for Kyle Pitts, which even that is a little bit disappointing. We drafted him as a top three tight end. So tight end six isn't great there, but just tight end 21 in the real production. What a sad, sad season for Kyle Pitts faithful, but you know, gentle reminder, everyone, the man is still just 22 years old, which is absolutely bonkers to believe. And he will not be turning 23 until October 6th of next season. So Kyle Pitts, still a unicorn, still has a thousand yard receiving season to his name. Don't hate the player, hate the ADP. We'll see where Kyle Pitts settles, but round six, Kyle Pitts could be worth a lot more than round three. All right, everyone. I want to thank you guys always for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm going to be back on Thursday. Going to put my head down and figure out just some of the top over underperformers based on ADP. So let's go ahead, go through some of these rounds, running backs, wide receivers, tight end quarterbacks, the whole nine yards as always. And just look at the guys that were the biggest round winners, what we can maybe learn from that and accordingly how to use it to our advantage, make some actionable winning fantasy moves in the future. So keep an eye out for that. And yeah, hope you enjoyed this edition as always. I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody.